Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start today, though, with these shocking numbers here out of Statistics Canada. Well, maybe shocking for some. Maybe it's not so shocking. The rising number of people who are leaving British Columbia and heading to other provinces, especially Alberta. Now, this is the largest period of interprovincial migration losses for B.C. in 20 years. 12,800 people we lost since last year, since July of last year. That's the net loss. Okay, so that's people who have moved from B.C. to other provinces and compared to the number of people moving here in the other direction. We're losing people. Okay, so there are more people leaving that are that are arriving here from other provinces. Alberta is the biggest recipient of British Columbians leaving the province and going elsewhere. Now, why are people moving to Alberta? I got Peter Millibar here standing by to discuss. Have a listen to some of these callers on the open line here about moving to Alberta. Why is it happening? Let's listen. I've lived in both Alberta and BC, and I love Alberta. If we didn't have six grandchildren in the lower mainland, we'd still be there. We totally loved Alberta. I actually moved out from Lethbridge back into my house that I've had for 30 years in Nanaimo, and I've been hanging on, but I can't keep a job out here. I, I want to go back to Alberta where it's just uh, life is so much simpler. It's a real uh, can-do <laughs> attitude. It was fabulous. Okay, so a lot of callers saying that, yeah, they enjoyed their time when they lived in Alberta, but you know, living here now, why do people move here if they love Alberta so much? Well, largely for the weather, you hear that a lot. Now, why are people moving back? It's the cost of living, especially the cost of housing is a huge factor. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Peter Millibar, BC United MLA. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Peter, thanks a lot for coming on today. You bet. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Peter, what do you think of these numbers here? Well, not surprising. We've been saying for a long time now that BC is the most unaffordable province in Canada. Um, there's lots of reports and studies that are backing that up. And people are demonstrating that by by their interprovincial uh, migration uh, patterns. And yes, we are seeing a, an increase in our population and overall immigration. But really what's happening is people are getting here. Uh, from other countries, uh, they're settling in and then they're realizing and, and long-term residents are realizing just how expensive life's gotten under the NDP and, and they're packing up and they're going to other jurisdictions within Canada. Um, it creates a big problem for us when we have a skilled labor shortage, when we have um, worries about doctors and nurses and those types of professionals, engineers, uh, doctors, uh, lawyers, you name it, um, as well as uh, the construction field and, and, you know, all the repair techs that we need now that are, are very high tech in, in their nature. It um, creates a real problem for us moving forward. Okay, so it sounds like you're describing like a brain drain there. Like if we're losing highly skilled people, if it's people who are moving to Alberta for a job or if it's for to be able to raise a family in a, in a detached house if they can't afford one here, is that a problem? Like, is is there any is there any evidence that that's that's the case that we're losing like highly skilled people, like a brain drain? Well, absolutely. You just have to look and, and see, um, you know, what's going on in in uh, our lack of productivity in a wide range of sectors. When you look at 
um, our, our uh, you know, potential downturn in, in construction and, and a lack of, say, construction workers and, and the complexities that goes into becoming a, a worker now, uh, you know, a red seal and that um, within, you know, the trades. And so, yes, we are seeing a brain drain happening. This is not retirees all heading to Alberta to... Uh, uh, to decide to set up, uh, you know, for the retirement years. This is people that are, are raising families that have good paying jobs that are, are finding that opportunity in Alberta and elsewhere yeah. in Canada uh, because, yeah. it's frankly, it's more competitive. And so we're seeing companies making uh, investment decisions to go to jurisdictions that are more competitive, and we're seeing people now doing the same thing. The NDP are collecting $20 billion a year more in taxation than when they took office. It's gone from about $50 billion to $70 billion. It's not sustainable. You can't just keep thinking that there's this magic money tree that you can uh, tip everyone upside down and shake every penny they have out of their pockets and do that to the business as well and not think that there's going to be a, a other, ramification for that. The, the other thing that the thing that jumps out at me there you're describing, if people are moving largely because of housing, and it seems to me that seems to be the case, especially you take a look at what you can get for your money in a city like Edmonton, right, where you can buy a detached house for under half a million. You can get four hundred, you know, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. You can get a detached house. Uh, you can buy a condo for under two hundred thousand dollars in in Edmonton. If people, if that's what's driving people, if that's what's attracting people, you are going to lose maybe younger families, right? And, and that's troubling. Like, if people people are not moving to Alberta to retire, like you said, if people are going to move somewhere to retire, they're probably going to come here. Right, which is great. I mean, if people like the nice weather, they can come out here and retire. That's awesome. We would like to see that continue. But it is kind of troubling to think that you might be losing younger people because of housing prices. Now, let me play the the ad for you, Peter. So this is the uh, the ad campaign from the Alberta government. Here, they are actually advertising in British Columbia. Come on over. We want you to move here. Looks like it's been effective. Let's listen to the ad, then I'll get your thoughts. Hey, Vancouver. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd leave you and move to Edmonton, but I had this great job opportunity, and so far, I've been pleasantly surprised. The people here are friendly and helpful. The food scene is amazing. There's plenty of stuff to do, and I bought my first house for just over 400000 which is kind of like a cherry on top. Alberta is calling. Learn more at albertaiscalling.ca. A message from the government of Alberta. I remember when I uh, I talked to an Alberta government official, Peter, about these ads, and I said, those are actors, right? Those have to be actors in the ads, because that sounded to me like a professional voice actor when I heard that ad. And they said, no, 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 these are real Real people. These are real British Columbians who actually packed up and moved to Alberta. Anyway, what do you think of the ad campaign? Well, I think it's been effective, obviously. The numbers uh, back it up. And, and, and here's the problem. Alberta's seeing an increase in population, yet their housing prices have stayed uh, reasonably affordable. Where in BC, we have the, the provincial government pointing the fingers at everyone but themselves. Uh, not being able to to bring, find a way to bring relief for people. And, and you have this disconnect. You have the finance minister being advised by her economic forecast council and her own staff and her ministry that we're going to see a, a 10% drop in housing starts next year, um, that we have uh, oh. the least productivity uh, that we have is actually in the construction sector because of all of the, the layering of rules and, and uh, red tape that this government has brought in. Um, that hmm. uh, that we're seeing um, basically a recession, but it's being masked by those international immigration numbers coming in, much like what happened in Florida in around the 2008 
housing crash. Uh, so fundamentally, we actually are in serious trouble here. And then you have a housing minister that's ignoring everything that the finance minister is being advised by all these outside experts and her own internal staff <coughs> on the financial side of, of the province. So okay. oh, everything's great. Okay, but, but for people, not, uh, but hang, on, hang on a sec, hang on a sec, Peter. So for people, though, who are thinking of packing up and moving to Alberta, like, you still have to live in Alberta, though. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you got you you to live in those, okay, win- but, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't move to Alberta, would you? I mean, you love BC, you're not leaving. Well, I was born in Edmonton, actually. Oh, okay. I moved here when I was one and a half. But, um, you know, the reality is, I, I think we've got to stop getting so hung up on the weather. Uh, I'm from the interior of BC. Uh, we get cold weather, too. Uh, Prince George gets yeah. cold weather. Kelowna gets cold weather. Vancouver gets cold weather from time to time right now. And last I checked, with the newer technology of clothing, with home heating, <laughs> with cars, this is not like the 1940s where a cold snap, people are all locked in their homes. People are actually going out and recreating in colder, colder weather than ever before. So I think we got to stop uh, being, you know, puffing out our chests and thinking that weather is the be all end all and going to be the mm. final deciding factor. If you can start a career and actually afford to raise a family and have that hope, yeah. if you're, I have three mid 20s to early late 20s children. Uh, fortunately, they haven't moved, but I can see why their their friends are seriously looking at this. And, okay. and the other piece of it is it is all interconnected, Mike, because when we get the retiree population, uh, that's yeah. great and that's wonderful. But let, you have to look at our healthcare system and ask yourself, when do people consume the most and most expensive yeah. parts of healthcare in their lifetimes? It's when they're in their late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Uh, so that swap on the healthcare side is not a winning formula for BC in the long term either. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Peter, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Mike. Anytime. Let's talk about fast food in the news. Tim Hortons, McDonald's, and In-N-Out Hamburgers all making headlines this week. I've got Robert Carter standing by to discuss. He's Canada's top expert on the fast food industry. First, have a listen to this report. Let's talk Timmy's here. Tim Hortons here announcing they will bring back a beloved favorite on their menu. It is the Dutchie, the Dutchie Donut. Have a listen to this report from Global News. Well, it may have taken 20 years, but there is a sweet victory for fans of the Tim Hortons Dutchie. The square-shaped donut with icing and raisins dates back to 1964, but it was taken off the menu in the early 2000s. The company says it has listened to its customers, and the Dutchie will again be available beginning on January the 10th. Tim's is also planning to bring back three other retro donuts as it prepares to celebrate 60 years, but has not revealed which ones. Okay. Oh boy, it's exciting. What other classic retro donuts could be coming back to the Tim Hortons menu? Let's discuss with Robert Carter now, managing partner, Stratton Hunter Group. He's an award-winning food industry advisor, and I'm always grateful for him coming on. Robert, thank you for coming on today. Hey, great to, great to be on. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Let's talk about the Dutchie here. I didn't even know the Dutchie was dropped from the Tim Hortons menu. Have you ever had a Dutchie <laughs> at Tim Hortons? Oh, this is gonna this is gonna speak to the age. Uh, yes, yeah, I did have a Dutchie. I, I remember from when I was uh, little, and it was actually one of my favorite items on the Tim Hortons menu. So I'm glad to see they're bringing it back. Yeah, I was trying to do a little research last night on the origin of the name here, Dutchie. As far as I can, as far as I can figure out, it's kind of a look alike a recipe for the Dutch ol- Ole Bolen. 
Oli Bolin, which is a traditional uh, item in that they make in the Netherlands with uh, basically it's like a, their donut. You know, I, th- I think yeah. that's why they why they call it a duchy. Why did you like it? Why was it one of your favorites? You know what? It's just it was a uh, a really doughy sort of square with this sugar icing over top of it with raisins in it. So it was just a, a yummy uh, a treat. You know, so we used to go yeah. in uh, from from school all the time and, and get a duchy. And I, as if I remember correctly, it was uh, you know it was inexpensive and it was a bigger than a regular donut as well. Oh, is it, now you've hit now you've put your finger on it for me now because I used to like them too, and I always the reason I did was I always thought well this is bigger than a donut. There's no yeah. hole in it, right? So exactly. you're getting more for your money. Yeah, exactly. And so it's yeah. interesting how t- Tim's is, is positioning bringing back these uh, retro products. So it'll be interesting to see what's coming down the pipe in terms of their how donuts. is how is Tim Hortons doing right now? Uh, iconic company here in Canada. How are they doing? <laughs> Yeah, they're doing really, really well. I mean, you can see through even just through their stock price uh, through RBI continues uh, to to increase, and you know the, it's the flagship of that portfolio. Um, although they they own um, the uh, the chicken Popeyes as well, which is doing really well. But no, Tim Hortons continues to do well. They're expanding um, internationally, which is driving a lot of their growth as they make four ways into the China China market. Uh, but here at home, you know, a lot of changes and in innovation in their menu. So, uh, you know, a lot of focus on the quality. They've got to play to get, you know, uh, artificial ingredients out of their menu. So I think they've really sort of turned a corner compared to where they were even, you know, four or five years ago. Okay, very interesting. Speaking to uh, fast food expert Robert Carter, the quick service restaurant uh, sector in Canada. Let's take a talk about the In-N-Out hamburgers Robert, and they opened the first In-N-Out in the state of Idaho, and people went absolutely crazy. People were lined up to buy an In-N-Out burger in Idaho. I can't believe how long people, people even slept, they camped out, they slept outside overnight to be uh, near the near the front of the line. Let's listen to this yeah. report. This is from TMZ. Let's listen. The first In-N-Out in Idaho opened yesterday, and people waited eight hours in line to get these cheeseburgers. That's insane. Dude, you can drive to California, get it, and go back. Yeah. If you're in line for eight hours, that will not satisfy you. You'd have to bring lunch in the car while you wait. Right. They even put signs up because the lines were so long, so it's like almost like what they did at Disneyland when they were like, you're going to be in line for seven, eight hours. People did not move. They did not get out of line, and they had to start another line in a dirt parking lot because wow. it kept going so long, like Causing chaos. Yeah, so causing chaos. Eight-hour <laughs> line to go through the drive-through. People camping out overnight to get an In-N-Out burger. And even when people were told, "Look, you've got an eight-hour wait in this line," they didn't leave. They they stayed there and waited eight hours to get an In-N-Out hamburger. Robert, what 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 is the deal with this? Why why so much excitement there? It's crazy, and you know what? I love it. It's it's exciting. It just shows the power of these brands connecting with consumers. And, you know, we obviously know that Chick-fil-A has that same sort of mystique in the U.S. And even when it came into Canada and they were opening up in Toronto, there was massive lineup. So I don't know. I've always found it so fascinating that consumers are willing to to wait and, you know, be the first to try these uh, brands. But, you know, In-N-Out has really done a good job at limiting their geographical presence and really keeping in very specific areas of the U.S., 
And because of that, and you know, the, the quality of the food, they've developed almost like this cult-like, you know, devoted fan base. So, you know, as they start to expand and open in these uh, other areas, this is exactly the type of fanfare and excitement they're, they're trying to create. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy that maybe they don't want to saturate the market, but sort of limit their footprint. Do you think that's deliberate to sort of maintain that kind of, well, when you when you go to one of these places, you're in a bit of a, you're having a sort of a superior hamburger experience without, without you know, saturating the market? Is that part of the strategy yeah. there? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it creates that sense of exclusivity and a bit yeah. of an intrigue. And so, you know, people people like that. You know, they, they've also were one of the first to start with the secret menu. So, you know, part of their whole strategy is is creating that mystique and that exclusivity and scarcity. Yeah. Have you ever had an In-N-Out burger? I most definitely have. Yeah. What, what did <laughs> you think? It's good. You know what? I've visited many uh, In-N-Out burgers um, throughout the uh, Western U.S. And, uh, you know, it's a very quality product. Uh, yeah. Staff are always very friendly and it's an energetic environment to be in. So you, you can understand why consumers are, are motivated by it. Yeah. Do they have In-N-Out burger in, in Canada? They do not. They wow. have, I believe they have. I believe they had the pop up just to test it, but they don't. I don't think they have an in and out established uh, location here yet. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's finish up here and talk about the first McDonald's spinoff restaurant here. This is really interesting. They call it Cos Cosmics. Cosmics is the name of this McDonald's spin-off restaurant the first one in suburban chicago and similar to this in and out burger mania that people experience there were long lineups for people to try out this cosmics restaurant in chicago let's have a listen to this report this is from fox news the first ever McDonald's Cosmics restaurant has opened. A lot of people really expecting uh, maybe to see some McDonald's food, but do not expect to see cheeseburgers and fries. This ain't your mama's Mickey D's. No 20-piece chicken nugs here, though. There are only a couple sandwiches, including a spicy queso sandwich, a few snacky items, but lots and lots and lots of drinks, like a churro frappe and a sour cherry energy burst. Okay, so this is a drive-through that was set up, and it sounds like it's more like a drink, a drink-heavy menu. Robert, what are they trying to do here? You know what? This is awesome on so many levels. First of all, this shows the culture of innovation through this McDonald's organization. For somebody to come up with this concept, be able to get it and launch it and whatnot, I think it's just it's fantastic, and it's restored the faith and. You know, although you're one of the world's largest companies, you still can do innovative, fun things like this. The second aspect of this, you know, the, the beverage market is the fastest growing area of the at-home uh, food category. You can see it through the Starbucks beverages. You can see it through things like the bubble tea category. And in the U.S., beverage innovation has been very strong. But here in, in Canada, it's, you know, it's really evolving and developing. But so... You know, we'll see more of these type of beverage-only concepts, and clearly the folks at McDonald's have identified that as a core trend. And then, you know, tying into this younger consumer, this Gen Z consumer is motivated by these uh, innovative beverages. So it, this is a good strategy on so many levels. 
Yeah, when I was taking a look at it, I thought, okay, it looks like they're trying to compete against Starbucks, or it reminded me kind of a, like a like a booster juice type of operation yes. with these drinks here. And it seems like it, that is interesting to see what McDonald's is up to. Hey, let me ask you, uh, Robert, how is the QSR quick service restaurant sector doing overall? I remember talking to you at the height of the pandemic, and you know the quick service restaurants were hanging in there largely because of um, drive-through service there during the height of the pandemic. But how is this? How is the sector doing right now? Would you say, in, let's say, in Canada? Yeah, no, you know what? It's doing well. It's uh, you know re- represents over sixty billion dollars in, in spending on an annual basis just in the Canadian marketplace. And you know the convenience factor, the drive-throughs and whatnot continue to be very positive. So you know consumers, as we've talked about, Canadians over fifty percent of Canadians go to a restaurant every single day, and it's quick service that they're going to. So. You know, this segment of the market continues to experience good growth. Some segment of QSR are doing, you know, double digit, but generally they're growing at, you know, 1%, 2% overall. So it's a very stable, very robust segment of the market. And, uh, you know, expect that as we come out through the back half of next year, that we'll see really strong growth in the QSR segment. Robert, thank you for coming on with your analysis today. I appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure to chat. I always leave myself plenty of time to set the table the night before when everything is quiet and there are no distractions. It's so nice to include on the table a new discovery. I found these antique copper luster plates just a few days before Christmas at the local consignment shop. It's traditional at our home to gather friends and sing Christmas carols before dinner. This year's gingerbread house has a copper leaf roof and sugar glass windows. Okay, we got a little old school Martha Stewart there for you to kick us off here. All right, it is our annual tradition here, how to cook your Christmas turkey. My guest is Karen McSherry. Karen is the writer of seven cookbooks, founder and president, the Gourmet Warehouse. And I always love talking to her at this time of year. Karen, thank you for coming on today. You are so welcome and right back at you. I love talking to you and I love this segment so much. Me too. The tradition continues here, Karen. This is this is great. I love it. So let's talk turkey here, Karen. So we've got a lot to cover here in a short amount of time. So we jump right in. Now, selecting your your turkey here. Now, you believe you go fresh, right? You want a fresh bird? I do. Yeah. I do. I always go fresh as best, but a lot of times and being very cognizant and aware that fresh is often a, more money. So yes. If you do it right and you brine your turkey or you rub it with a good seasoning, you can get a good value with a frozen bird. You just have to know that when you buy your bird frozen, you need two days to thaw it out. It has to thaw slowly in the refrigerator for two days so that it's completely thawed. Um, And you will get, you know what, for the money saved, not a bad program to follow. So it depends on, on your budget. Yeah, I've done both, and I've had good success with fresh and frozen, too. Yeah. What about the size of the turkey? I've heard that it, you should allow one pound per per person. Is that about right? Exactly right, because okay. don't forget the bones and all the everything, and you also want all that left over because you want to make a nice turkey stock afterwards. So, yeah, one pound per person, and then you have some good leftovers because there is nothing that can beat a turkey sandwich the next day. 
Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I remember one year, Karen, I decided to go really fancy, and I went out and I, I purchased like a, a free-range uh, turkey at a butcher shop, and it cost me a ton of money. And, I mean, it was it was good. It was good, but I didn't think it was like vastly superior to the turkey no, I would just buy at the grocery store. What do you they, think? They weren't hanging off the, the rafters because it was, you know what, if, if you prepare it right and you close your eyes, you most likely won't know. It's just in your head that it was that. Yeah. So move on, get yourself a good value turkey. And it's. It, I always say it's not about the skis. It's the skier. It's not about, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not about the food. It's the cook and, and the ingredients. Sure. You can get roughed up vegetables and things that are sort of wilted and, and, and you can bring them back to life if you've got the skill. So we're going to yeah. talk skill. And so we're going to we're going to talk about a frozen turkey because that's your value right now. And you can go out and get them right now. I've seen yeah. them everywhere and they're, they're priced fair. Yes, for sure. Okay, now you touched briefly there on whether to brine the turkey. Now, is this worth it to brine the bird? I 100% believe in brining because for years and years I just did the roasted turkey. And then brining became sort of the flavor of the day. You know, everybody's brining and everybody's talking about it. Nah. And then the first turkey I ever brined, I went, oh my goodness is this ever a change because the breast meat becomes is moist it isn't dry i'm a brown meat lover and you it's a or b you don't like people are brown meat or white meat they don't like you know they kids usually like the white meat and and the seasoned eats like the brown meat but it keeps it moist and that's a real big difference and it's not that hard so brining for your listeners is just a simple solution Kosher salt, aromatics, and when I'm talking about aromatics, I mean it's it's like a couple gallons, two gallons or more of cold water. Um, sometimes people like to put apple juice or apple cider in. You don't have to be that fancy. And then you go with rosemary leaves, garlic cloves, a lot, a cup and a half of kosher salt, and don't freak out because the kosher salt is what makes it tender. Your turkey yeah. is not salty. And it can't be just, you know, Windsor salt or your supermarket salt. It has to be kosher salt. You need sugar, peppercorns, bay leaves, and then you want to put the peel. You've got old oranges hanging around. Get the peel off those oranges. Throw it in. Old lemon. Peel those old lemons. Don't throw food away anymore. The waste is, it makes me cry. Bring all that to a boil, and it Mm -hmm. will smell delicious. And then bring it down cold. You have to get it up, put it outside on the deck and and get it cold. Then take your turkey and they sell brining bags. They're a little bit difficult to find. So you want to go get it now. Um, And it's like a giant size Ziploc bag that fits a 20 pound turkey. So imagine, you know, it's big, it's massive. Put the turkey in the bag, pour the cooled. Now, this is really important. It has to be cold. That brining liquid can't be warm because you don't want to create any any um, interaction with foodborne illness, and that would do it if you poured hot liquid over a cold turkey. So, And then zip it up, put it in your, if you've got a Coleman cooler or a cooler of any kind, stick it in there, put all those ice packs in it, yep. and then put it outside. And let it brine for 24 hours. If you've got a giant size fridge, which nobody will have now, that kind of space, yeah. you know, put it in your fridge. But I do that, and then I add ice cubes every sort of every eight hours, and I, I just so that you keep it cold. That turkey has to be kept cold. Don't let it warm up. And okay. usually, and that's it.
Okay, I, I love it. I, I'm I'm a I'm a believer in it too. I I do think it's worth it. Okay, uh, let's talk about preparing the bird. Put it in the oven. Do you do you uh, what do you coat the bird with? Do you put like olive oil on the outside of it or butter? What do you do? I, I, you can do both. Um, olive oil, butter, either or, and then maybe a little bit of a rub, a seasoning if you want. You can just do pepper, salt, whatever. I think it's good by itself because you don't want it too moist. You want that that skin to get crispy. And the more moisture you put on the skin, the less crispy it becomes. So butter is a good option. Just a little bit of a, a rub. Just a you know, your hand soft butter and just rub it all over. Gets that moisture into the skin and then it dries out and gets real crispy. Okay, do you believe in putting any uh, liquid in the pan? Like, I've, I've seen some people put some water in the bottom of the roasting pan. You can, but I don't think you need to, because you're going to be okay. basting. As the, as the turkey releases its juices, you're going to be basting sort of every 30 minutes. And then yeah. I guess the next question is stuffing in or out? Yes. So I believe in the stuffing in the bird because then the stuffing has the flavor of all those juices and it's yeah. absolutely delicious and it's moist and, and it doesn't taste like stovetop stuffing. I can't believe I said that, but you don't want that. <laughs> you want to make your, make your own and inside the bird makes it delicious. And, and I know that a lot of times it, it, it is, I won't, I won't pretend it isn't the hardest meal to prepare. And I think my mom and my grandma and your mom and your grandma did it effortlessly because it just they just did it. We're so used to immediate gratification and a turkey dinner is an all-day effort. And sometimes yes. you just get exhausted of it. And by every, the time everybody comes, you just go, you throw the towel down and you go, where's my gin and tonic? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know I that feeling. Can't, I can't even. And now you've got to orchestrate the gravy, four veg, yes. mashed potatoes, and you got to call for volunteers and don't be shy. Have aprons at the ready. And when people say anything I can do to help, toss them an apron and go, yes. Yeah, get in yes. here. Get in here because I, yeah. I can't dance alone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good good advice. Now, lastly, we'll just fit in a quick break here, Karen, but what mm-hmm. what temperature do you put the bird in? Because I've seen I've seen conflicting advice on this too. Okay. I'm a I'm a start at a high heat. I'm a, like at a, a four and a quarter for about forty five minutes and then I turn it down to three seventy five until the interior temperature is one eighty. 180 is is a safe bird. No pink juices running. The juices are clear. So if a lot of people will disagree, they don't like the high heat. But if you don't, then go 375, 400 for the whole time. And we can talk about times if any of your listeners care. But it's 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 easy. You know, a 12 pound bird. 8 to 12 is about 2 to 3 hours. And when you get up into the 20 to 25 pound bird, you are looking at about 4 to 5 hours. Right. And you mentioned basting that bird there. And yeah, how do you, so how often do you do that? And do you use the juice? Do you baste with the, you baste with the juices in the bottom of the pan? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. How how often do you do that? Every 30. Okay. Wow. Every 30 minutes. Okay. And what does that help? Mm -hmm. Does that help it to brown up or what is the purpose of that? Brown up and it keeps it moist. It keeps everything moist. So there's no drying, you know, keeps everything sort of glistening and delicious. And yeah, I just, yeah, I always like to be the guest, but normally I'm always the cook. Yes, yes, me, me too. <laughs> you okay, Karen, yeah, here's... You are. Not bad. Nice hot mustard. Good bread. Turkey's a little dry. The turkey's a little dry? Oh, bone a cursed thing! What demon from the depths of hell created thee? Huh? 
Okay, okay, we're talking turkey with Karen McSherry from the Gourmet Warehouse. Let's go to your phone call, Steve in Coquitlam. Hi, Steve, go ahead. Hey, yeah, I was just wondering, um, do you put tinfoil on top of the turkey? And if you do, how long? And also, you know is it cook, oh, sorry. would it be good to cook it in, if you don't have a pot big enough in a tinfoil, one of those tinfoil pots, I guess you would call it? Oh, the, so, one, the ones you buy at the supermarket, the, the trays? That's correct. Yeah, okay, so yes, you can, because a lot of times, I mean, those tur- turkey roasters are expensive, and if you aren't going to make this sort of an annual or, you know, an Easter thing and then a Christmas thing, it's a big investment, unless you do ribs and all those other things. So, But when you buy that tinfoil thing, buy two of them, because you want to double it up, because they're so thin that it will scorch on the bottom. So you want to oh. have a double layer, okay? They're not expensive, so make sure that you buy two. If they're super thin, buy three, and then you just, that way you won't scorch the turkey on the bottom. Okay. Okay. Good tip. What about putting uh-huh. the What about putting a tin foil on top of the turkey? You know what? I you can to get it started to create a little bit of moisture in there, and yeah. then about sort of a third of the way through, half the way through, depending on how quick that turkey's browning, remove it. So yeah, yeah you, a little tent. It works because a lot of people like a tent because sometimes it, the, the skin tends to brown a little bit too quickly. And so the tent will prevent that while that, you know, the, the, the interior, like the sides and the legs take longer to cook, obviously, than the breast. So a, yeah. a tent is a good idea. Okay, Don in Surrey. Hi, Don. Go ahead. Aaron, Merry Christmas to you. Same uh, to you. Thank you. Uh, my wife uh, brought home a butterball turkey, but it's a uh, cook from frozen and uh, we haven't done this before, and uh, the instructions are a little ambiguous. I, I went online, and there's a YouTube video that shows, but same thing. Uh, so you put, you mean you put it in the oven frozen? Yeah, yeah. Wow, no, Karen, no, what do you no, think? No, 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 do not, do not do that. That, the, the, Two, the one inch around the exterior of the turkey will be so overcooked before the interior is cooked and thawed, it's not possible. So I think that's misleading and that disturbs me. And then you, you, you're so excited, you want to have this Norman Rockwell presentation of, you know, you bring the bird and then you slice into it and the interior is stone cold and raw. No, Ooh. no, Well, no. The, uh, the, the reason they're saying they do it um, is because it's a free stuffed bird. And it's, it's flash frozen and, um, it's, you know, it'll cook normally. The cooking times are almost double basically. Of course. Okay. Of course. So, you know what I would, you know, it's, it's all, all good. Put that frozen bird into your fridge for two days and let it come to, uh, you know, uh, unthaw. And okay. then and then cook it as per you would a fresh bird because then it's not frozen in the center. I would that be issue. would that be okay though, Karen? If it's pre-stuffed? No, I would take that stuffing when when the okay. bird is thawed. Pull the stuffing out, and I'm sure. Here's another trick for those of you who do stuffing. You want to get yourself some cheesecloth. They actually sell cheesecloth bags, and what you do is you put your stuffing. You put the bag inside the turkey's butt, and then you push your stuffing in, and then you you cinch it closed. And when the turkey's cooked, instead of trying to dig it out with the spoon and you burn your fingers and oh my goodness, and you're panicking now because all the other things are required your attention 
You yeah. just grab the end of the cheesecloth and yank it out, and out comes all the stuffing, and it's clean inside, and you can then let the turkey rest. So what you're going to do is you're going to take that pre-stuffed you can take the stuffing out of that bird and then put it aside and then and then thaw the bird and then you can put the stuffing back in. But I'd highly recommend making my own stuffing and not using that because it's probably 92% breadcrumbs. Okay, Don, good luck with that. Okay, here's what we'll do. Boy, the time goes by so quickly. So let's take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour. we got your news coming up. If you are on the phone lines right now, please hang in there, okay? And we will get to you after the break. Uh, Karen McSherry is my guest from the Gourmet Warehouse. This is Mike Smith. Karen, real quickly here, we got we got thirty yeah. seconds here. So for the um, for the gravy, would you say that that's the first thing you start as soon as the bird comes out? Of yep. the oven, yeah. Get that gravy going. Get the, yeah. you know, get the gravy going. Save that. That the potatoes should be cooked and uh, in the bowl, and you save that potato water. Really important. That potato water is your Ooh. gold. Okay, and use that for the gravy, right? Yes. Oh, is that the turkey? That looks dry. Show me. That's drier than the Sahara Desert, you muppet. Okay. Really? All right, Karen McSherry is my guest. We're talking turkey. Karen is the owner of the Gourmet Warehouse. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Ingrid in Surrey. Ingrid, thank you for waiting. Go ahead. Hi, you're welcome. So, yeah, my question is, what is Karen's opinion of the Look brand oven bags? They're like plastic, and you put your turkey in there and close it up, and then you don't have to think about it till it's done. Oh, well, you know what? That's news to me. I don't, I can't comment on that because I have, A, never used them, and I've never, don't know anybody that has. So I have to sort of, Plead the fifth here because I don't know, and normally yeah, I'm, I'm just never taking. Stumped. I'm just taking a look on, online here, Karen, and, and I, I do see them. There are various brands of these type of oven bags you can purchase. That you, you know, you. I guess the idea is to keep the bird kind of moist during the cooking okay. process. I've seen a method that uh, I watched a Martha Stewart. Speaking of Martha Stewart, I watched a video of her one time wrap a turkey up in like parchment paper and put it in the oven. Uh, to keep it moist. Does that make does that make any sense to you? The parchment um, would be, I mean, maybe, was it a whole bird or was it just like maybe... Yeah, a whole turkey. It was a whole the turkey whole and she had it kind of loosely wrapped up in parchment paper. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why you would want to waste the parchment paper just put the bird <laughs> in the... Like, I, I don't understand that part because yeah. you want the direct heat on the bird. So I'm sorry I can't speak to the oven bag, but why waste your money on an oven bag when you've got an oven and you've got a tray, put your turkey in the tray, give it a little seasoning and, and roast it and save the bag. Yeah. And it's the basting. It's hard. Yeah. Don't and, forget and, that basting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anne in Vancouver. Helpful on that. That's okay. Anne in Vancouver. Hi, Anne. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I have a, a lamb roast. Can I soak the lamb roast in a brine or uh, yep. will that work? Oh, yeah, you could brine lamb, you can brine, you can do a quick brine with um, prawns to give them a, a better flavor. You could brine lamb, but not too long, not 24 hours for sure, more like 10, and, and it will give a, a nice flavor. But don't brine it as long as you would a turkey, because a turkey's a big bird and the lamb is not big. So maybe, maybe five hours would be plenty. Thank you, Anne. Good, good luck with that. I love making the uh, rack of lamb. 
Yes. Karen, my what do you favorite, think? Oh, boy. Oh, my, I love it. You know what I, my favorite thing with the rack of lamb is um, mm. grainy mustard, Dijon mustard, lots of garlic, a big, big handful of um, chopped fresh rosemary and slather it all over and then just grill it. And it is just so delicious. And a little yeah. bit of olive oil just so that it's not such a, to make it sort of a thick paste so it sticks to the lamb. Oh, yeah, yeah you want that. It's good. Yeah. Beautiful cut of meat, for sure. Kay in Burnaby. Hi, Kay. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm making a turkey roll breast. It's 1.5 uh, kilograms. And um, should, it, should it be brined? And what should I put it on, uh, put on it? And also, should I put carrots and onions in the, tray, in the pan or, and on mm. a rack? Or, a lot of questions. Okay, so about a kilo and a half. You still want a, a, a thermometer just so that you get the center. Um, you could open it up and you could stuff it with something if you wanted. Like you could do a little bit, open it, and then maybe put some prosciutto or pancetta inside to keep that inside so it's got a little bit of flavor in there. Um, and then I would tie it up. Uh, onions and carrots are a great idea. You want to keep it moist because there's not a lot of fat in the white meat. So you want to get olive oil all over it. You could do a nice rub. There's multiple rubs everywhere. So you could do a rub or you could make your own from a, a medley of, of spices, dry spices, salt, pepper, and rub that all over. Mix it with olive oil, rub it all over. And then for a kilo and a half, I would probably say you want um, maybe an hour and a bit because there's no bones right is there any yeah, do you have bones in there karen okay it's, it's it's boneless yes boneless it, yeah it's the breast yeah. so it's going to cook quickly so you're going to probably need you know just about an hour and change on that because it's it's not going to take long um and then you want to make sure that it doesn't dry out so i would definitely you know maybe here's where you use the parchment because this mm. is where you don't want them want it to dry out. You don't want the oven sucking out all the goodness of it. You want it to be moist when you slice through it. Good luck with it, Kay. It's a nice option if you're just for two people or a small smaller group it's a for sure. Great option. Yeah. Yeah, great for sure. Option. So you still get your turkey. Let's go to Evan on the line in Richmond. Hi, Evan. Go ahead. Hi there. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Go ahead. Okay, well, listen, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm thinking, you know, Karen mentioned something about the, uh, you know, leftovers and turkey sandwiches. And, of course, uh, the classic leftover turkey sandwich has got to be the Monte Cristo. And in this case, you want to have some leftover ham, uh, maybe small carvery ham, thin sliced, your turkey breast. Um, I like to throw some bit of cranberry sauce in there, maybe some stuffing if you want. And the trick is um, multigrain sourdough or some kind of multigrain bread instead of white bread, maybe. And you dip that in a mixture of some beaten egg, and you want to throw a splash of eggnog into the beaten Whoa. egg. Give it a little bit of Oh, look at you go. Yeah. <laughs> and what this, sandwich, what this sandwich isn't is low-cal. This is not a Weight Watchers <laughs> sandwich, and it's meant to be split between two people. But I can't imagine anything better on Boxing Day. You got your feet up. Oh, my God, oh. that's so good. Strong coffee. You know what? Watching, Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. What do you think of that, Karen? I always declared December the caloric-free month of the year. You don't think <laughs> yeah. about anything. You just go for broke, <laughs> probably because you will be, and you start your diet, like, later. January is a good time. Yeah. So that sounds absolutely delicious. Yeah, okay. I love and a good Monte Cristo. 
In terms of the uh, t- traditional toppings on a, a day after turkey sandwich, do, do you agree you'd put some stuffing and cranberry on there? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you got that tartness of the of the cranberry and then the, oh, mm, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a favorite. Yeah, for sure. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Rick and Langley. Hi, Rick. Go ahead. Oh, hi, uh, Mike, uh, Karen. Um my question is, well, actually, I'd like to mention to Karen that uh, last year I listened, and you mentioned brining a turkey. I did that, and the results were absolutely fabulous. The The breast was just moist like a wet sponge. So very happy with that. I'm not quite sharp enough to uh, let well enough alone. So this year I thought I'd try something different. And I read about the bag, and I'm going to try the bag. Um, okay. I'll give you You'll a call and let, let you know year. how that turns out. Yeah, please do, Rick. Give us an update on that. That would be good to know. Barbara in Vancouver. Hi, Barbara. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, I just wanted to say when I I get a a couple layers of cheesecloth, dip it in a cup full of butter, and then lay the cheesecloth on top of the turkey, and then it needs less basting. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's terrific. Yeah. I've done it. It comes off nicely at the end, and it's nice and brown and crispy. I have done it, Barbara. Thank you for that. I tried it, and it came out. It worked really well. I made, uh, Karen, I made a little butter mixture with some white wine, and I soaked the cheesecloth in that and sort of draped it over the bird. I was a little dubious about it. I thought, is this, what is the, why am I doing this? But I I decided to give it a a whirl, and I'll tell you, it was the nicest looking bird I'd ever made, because it came out very, very, very even browning. Right. Beautiful. Look at yeah. you, Mike. You are huh? Martha. <laughs> I don't know if I'm in her class. Joanne in Kelowna. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah, I cooked a, a turkey at Thanksgiving, and um, I had looked up online and about you know basting, and my husband used to use butter, but it said to use oil. So so anyway, that's what I did, and um, you know what? It didn't brown at all. So I called my you girlfriend. Don't you don't baste with oil. You baste no. with the juices that, that the turkey oh, releases in the bottom of the pan. You just oh. rub, as Mike said in the oh. beginning, you either rub the whole thing with a little bit of butter or oil, and not a lot. Like, just to, just get your hands greasy and rub it all over, and then you stop, and then you use the juices from the pan to baste, not extra oil to baste, because then you're oh, kind no, of sort of semi-frying oh. it. Yeah, no, I didn't use extra. I oh. just did that to begin oh. with, and then I used. I I'm sure I used the the pan juices, but anyway, mm. it didn't. Work. It didn't. It didn't brown up enough. for you. Weird. No, no. So then I tried butter, and it still, you know, it didn't really brown up any better. Huh. Okay. But well, um, I, there was another question. <laughs> oh, I know. I have a. I have a thermometer. But uh, it needs batteries. It's been in a drawer for years. It looks like double A, but I'm not sure. Anyway, um, if you just can you do it without uh, using a thermometer and just cut it open and you said it's a pink. Yeah, okay. Here's if you don't have a thermometer and everybody doesn't need to go spend more money because that's what we don't want to do. So you're going to take that leg and you're going to, you know, give it a good wiggle. And when the leg 
almost breaks away, when the skin breaks away from the body of the bird, you know that it is cooked. So you're going to wiggle that leg. And if the leg is resisting you and hanging on and Mm. attached to the body, that turkey is not done. But if you go with the guide, how, how big is your bird? Oh, I don't know. It's in the freezer right now, but it's somewhere around 5.75 kilos, I think. Okay, so if it's about five kilos, at about the two and a half hour mark, start wiggling the leg at the two and a half hour mark, and you will know. And then, and when it, and don't worry if the leg kind of, you know, sort of crooks off, it doesn't matter, but that's the way you're going to do it because you can't do the test with the breast because the breast is cooked. It's the thigh and the leg meat that takes the longest time. And that's where you don't want anything pink in there because as soon as people see pink, they kind of freak out. It's, you know, it's just kind of that thing. So two and a half hours, wiggle that leg. If the leg wiggles really easy and you know that you could easily just take it off, you're good. Joanne, good luck with that. And Karen, as usual, every year the time flies by here. Can I know. you re- can you remind the listeners where is the Gourmet Warehouse located? It is thirteen hundred. It's Hastings and Clark. Just let right. Hastings and Clark in Vancouver. Multiple free parking in the back, and we are open until three o'clock on Christmas Eve. Okay, are you open every are, on Christmas Eve too? Oh, that's awesome. Are you open this yeah, weekend? This weekend? Yeah, we're oh, this weekend will be very busy. Everybody's yeah. busy. Yeah, they all are like last minute, and you know the brining bags they need, and all the you know roasting pans. Oh, I need. I I lent mine out, and I didn't get it back. <laughs> that kind of thing. We get a lot of that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'll be very very busy weekend for you, Karen. Thank you for taking the time. I love the gourmet warehouse, and I, and I love talking to you every year. Thanks for coming on. Merry Christmas to you. Right back at you, Mike. I love this segment, and I love talking to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.